to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show host and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. And now, here's your hosts. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of of the Red Wave Report. I'm Lucio Reek, and uh, joining me as always is my co-host, Mr. Lorenzo Reyna. Lorenzo, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and you know what? I don't know what it is about that music, Lucio, but I just want to like get up and dance to it. <laughs> you know? it's, but, a, it's a catchy tune. Yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the reason why I bring this up. I don't know if Tim DeRuiter is trying to audition for Dancing with the Stars because from what I heard in Monday's press conference... He did a lot of dancing around. Oh, um, always. He's getting he's getting good at the dancing around the questions. Uh, basically, you know, what do you do? I mean, it's been three years of the same issues going on here at Fresno State, and now, um, you know, what 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 more answers can he have? Uh, it, you know, after a while, you kind of get gonna get repetitive, and uh, you know, fans are getting frustrated with the same old answers. But you know, at the same time. Can you blame the guy? He can't really give you another answer if he can't give you another answer. You know, I think what it is is that I guess there's Fresno State fans out there who want Tim DeRuiter to say the word that rhymes with duck and it starts with the letter S. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, DeRuiter's too nice of a guy. But you know what? People like myself and Lucio, we pretty much call it how we see it. Yeah, and, and you know, right now, the way we're seeing it, uh, it doesn't bode well for Fresno State. Um this upcoming game heading into Nevada is pretty much going to be the make or break game for Fresno State this season and probably <laughs> for, you know, Coach Tim DeRuiter's, you know, job pretty much. You know what, honestly, I felt like that the UNLV game was that make or break game. But well, then again, I felt like that Tulsa game was the make or break game. Well, I'm out of make or break games now. Well, <laughs> you know, this one is probably the last make or break game he has because you know last week was the first game of conference play fine they, they lost that first game they lose two and they're in a world of hurt uh, they're going to be in a big problem the the difference is though as as we look at the schedule it looks like nevada is the only other team fresno state might even have a chance of beating uh you know they could they could easily go the rest of the season without winning a game that's just the way it is and here's the other thing too that I need to bring up with fans. We fought la- a lot of you fought last week that UNLV would be an easy game, that UNLV would be a victory because of the fact that the Rebels previously had lost to a hapless Idaho team. Well, look what happened. UNLV looks like a Pac-12 team against Fresno State. Hence why I'm very hesitant about saying that this game against Nevada is easy pickings, especially when you consider that Nevada lately has had Fresno State's number. And yeah, and Nevada is always a tough game for Fresno State. And, you know, everybody thought it would have been easier against UNLV because they lost to Idaho. But at the same time, like we said last week, I wasn't sure that this team can even beat Idaho right now. And the way things are looking, they're starting to prove me right. And that's not a good thing. So, I know when you look like a genius, Lucio. I mean, that's when you know things are bad. <laughs> oh, uh, things are at Fresno State. Things are really bad. And you know, Coach Tim DeRuiter went into his press conference. He was he was under assault at his press conference for uh, you know for very mm-hmm. good reason. 
And the the old question that keeps being answered, being asked now is, why don't you use another quarterback? Virgil has not looked sharp. And you know what? I'm in agreement with that. Right now, Tim DeRuiter is living and dying by his uh, by his starting quarterback, uh, Jason Virgil, who is not looking good. In fact, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if he was showing signs of progression, but he, now he's showing signs of regression, which is not good for the Bulldogs. No, it isn't. And you know what? What's also looking worse and looking like an even bigger blemish on Tim DeRuiter's part is the fact that he is sticking with a quarterback who is flat out struggling, who doesn't look good at all, looks nowhere near where Derek Carr, David Carr, or for that matter, even Ryan Colburn is right now. I mean, yeah, you could blame it on the fact that there's a lack of depth in the running game. You can also blame the fact that this offensive line has been depleted with injuries and inconsistency. Well, here's the thing, though, and I have to go back to the Tulsa game. That offensive line actually looked good against Tulsa. And you know what? Even against UNLV, there were spurts in which they actually opened up some running lanes. So we can't always put the blame on the offensive line in the lack of depth at the running attack. I mean, this season, this season is pretty much a lost cause as it is. And I feel like that at this point, even even like if you're in the middle of the season, at this point, you got to give Klein at least somewhat of a chance. I mean, just... Look and see who really wants to be a Bulldog. Maybe go back to when Pat Hill went 4-8. I believe it was 2006 when he took the Bulldog away from the helmet. I'm almost wondering if maybe something similar like that needs to happen. You know, I was having this conversation with uh, one of our friends earlier today. And I'm not going to mention names or anything right now because it's besides the point. But, you know, we were having a healthy discussion about uh, about this very same thing about how it's not totally Virgil's fault uh, the reason why he's been playing this way because of the offensive line because of no running game and that you know Virgil should stay in there so that he can take his lumps and in in you know get that experience but at the same time you see I I don't agree with that you know if if he continues to go on the pace that he's going he's going to get himself hurt and why not sit him Put the senior in who's going to be leaving next year anyways. See if you can salvage some of this season and let Virgil sit and learn. Uh, and and also, you know, uh, Virgil Virgil was missing wide open receivers with a no pass rush on him. So, you know, what does that tell you? He, he's He's got happy feet. I mean, he's... You know, skittish. here's the other thing. It's like, you know, I mean, I'm definitely in agreement with what you're saying about Virgil, Lucio. But here's the problem, though. Tim DeRuiter allowed his young cub to hang out with the Lions. He allowed Virgil to go in there right away without without having any previous experience at the college level. I mean, yeah, there's those high schools, those, those prominent high schools that goes against like all these teams with different like Division One talent, like in the Trinity League here in California down in Orange County or even in the Fresno area when you have teams like Edison, Bullard, Central, um, Clovis High, Clovis West. I don't know what kind of talent they have at West Mesquite, Texas, where Virgil is from. But, I mean, the bottom line is this, though. The Rooter put himself, put Virgil in a position where he allowed a young quarterback to basically just get thrown into the wolves right away. And so to me, it's like, you know, it's almost realistic 
basically a fault on Deruder's part. And now it's like, you know what? Deruder has to understand that this isn't working for his team. That Virgil clearly wasn't ready. And Virgil, I mean, still has those signs of being skittish and not being prepared for any kind of college level defense. Hence why I feel like that you still got to go with Klein. You got to give the journeyman quarterback who's gone against different defenses has been at places like Cal and even briefly at Oregon state, just, you know, allow him to see what he can do in terms of saving the season. No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that Virgil is not the future. Uh, Virgil very, they may very well be the future. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's not the present. Uh, he just no. he he's looking skittish. He's look he's got happy feet. He is missing wide open receivers. You know, I have nothing against Virgil. I just don't think it, it's his time yet. He needs to sit, learn a little bit more, and, and you know, put in the senior and see what he can do and and finish out the season, and then let Virgil start all over again next season. I mean, he's he's already got five games under his belt now. I mean, mm-hmm. that's more than enough for him to kind of get a taste of what's going and on. And here's the thing. It's like, you know, when you think about it too, Lucio, Fresno State is two losses away from missing out on a bowl. I mean, granted, yeah, there's those teams out there who, those mid-majors, I should say, who could get into a bowl with a 6-6 six and six record. Well, realistically, they look at strength of schedule. And Fresno State's strength of schedule wasn't looking too good because the quality win right now was against Sacramento State. Well, and and even if they get to 6-6, six and six, I mean, all the games that they've been losing haven't really been close. So mm-hmm. that's going to hurt them right there anyway. So it doesn't really matter if they can get six wins because I don't think... Uh, you know, even if they got the six wins to be el- bowl eligible, um, if any of the other teams in the conference get to six wins, Fresno State's the odd man out. So it just it, it makes no sense to me why they continue to uh, put in the young quarterback who's going to get pummeled uh, and doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. I mean, it's maybe it's you his time almost, to come out. You almost asked, you almost really have to ask the question. Does DeRuiter honestly think that this is a rebuilding year? Is he approaching this Fresno State team like it's a project? Well, you know what? I was I was asked the question is, you know, what's the you know, why do a, a quarterback carousel similar to like what happened last year, you know, so that Virgil can go back into fall camp again and and start all over and, and compete for his his job. And, you know, why why do that to the kid? Well, you know what? He's probably going to end up having to do that again next year anyways if DeRuiter's been gets fired. So it really doesn't matter. <laughs> so it's going to happen whether they want it to or not. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm i under the impression DeRuiter's not going to stick out the year. But that is, you know, that's my opinion. Well, you know what? I... I I mean, I know I'm, I've been trying to make this prediction, try to keep it under closed doors for a while. I mean, I feel like, though, that if I haven't made it public yet, I will now. I think that Fresno State could possibly make a coaching change after the San Diego State game. Because at that time, if Fresno State loses to Nevada, then loses to the Aztecs, you're sitting at 1-6. you got a longer week ahead of you. And then the change could come, and basically you get a chance to see who really wants to be a bulldog and who doesn't. 
Well, and that's and you know it's basically something that we've been talking about for a while now. I I think it's by the Hawaii game, but you know you might be right. It might be as soon as the San Diego State game if uh, if he, they lose the next two games. Uh, you know, at, at some point you have to um, figure out when to cut your losses because it, it hasn't worked for the last three years. And here's um, the thing too: it's like Pat Hill was fired because of an an attendance drop. A dip in attendance at Bulldog Stadium was one of the main reasons why Pat Hill was canned, along with the 4-9 record. Fresno State decides to keep Tim DeRuiter, who went 3-9 last year, and is now 1-4 this year. And if anybody was actually at the Fresno State-Tulsa game, you saw how empty that stadium looked. So to me, the attendance is looking a lot worse under DeRuiter than it ever did under Pat Hill in his final season. Oh, and it's only going to get worse. Uh, after this last loss to uh, UNLV, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of uh, some of those fans that were at that Tulsa game are now have gotten turned off by the whole situation. And if they lose against Nevada, it's going to be even worse than that. And mm-hmm. the only way that the university is going to have even a decent crowd in the in the stadium is by giving away tickets, which they very may well do, just so that it makes it look like there's people in the stadium. So maybe uh, even free tickets is that like every ticket is pretty much either at a discounted price or it's free. I mean, the last time they went two for one. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they went three for one just to try to get people in there. So you know, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's it's a catch twenty two. You know, it it all it's all subjective, and we'll see what happens uh, with Fresno State this uh, upcoming weekend. But you know, before we you know keep continue you know beating a dead horse, why don't we try to break down some of this uh, this game up against the UNLV? Um, it, it looked, gosh, I want to say it looked better than it did, but I guess it looked worse. <laughs> it was worse no, than you're it looked. Exaggerating, you're over exaggerating <laughs> there. I think it was worse than it looked. To tell you the truth, I mean, Virgil ended up going, I believe, sixteen for forty-seven attempts. That is not good. Well, you know, when you look at it in the bigger picture, like throughout the whole year, Virgil has completed only 47% of his passes. 47% is considered a feeling great in the classroom. Yeah, and it's getting worse. It is getting worse game by game. Um, And, you know, to be honest with you, if Virgil were a junior or a senior, we wouldn't even be having this conversation about him getting replaced. He would have been benched already a long time ago. So uh, just based on his numbers alone. So, you know, it's all subjective. I mean, you guys can say he needs to stay in there to take his lumps. I was one of the biggest supporters of that when the season first started was to stick with a quarterback, pick one and stick with him. But right now, after watching what I'm watching, it's not working. I mean, no. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind if they were if they were still losing, but, you know, still looking like the quarterback was developing. I don't see that with Virgil. He is not developing. So, uh, I don't know. He's he's not. And you know what? I mean, I feel like you're at a point now where, you, whether Tim DeRuta wants to admit it or not, the players he has right now on the field, they're not working. And I'm almost starting to believe, Lucio, that maybe, maybe it's time to either like burn the red shirts out of some of those kids that kids they were trying to red shirt, or for that matter even allowed the PWOs to play. Well, yeah, and, and <laughs> you know, you got to get some experience for these kids cuz right now the Bulldogs are in danger of of you know, going through the season without getting another win. 
And it's a very good possibility that that may happen. They may even lose to Hawaii, which was supposedly supposed to be the weakest team in in uh, the Mountain West. And right now, it that that looks like it belongs to the Fresno State Bulldogs. You so, know, it's crazy because you know a couple of weeks ago, I was saying to people on this show how Fresno State to me looks like the worst one at two team in the country. I'm going out on a limb to say that Fresno State is the worst Mountain West team right now. Yeah, uh, unless they can start to kind of figure things out and get it this turned around, they're in danger of becoming that. So it is, it is not good. Um, now, as far as you said, the offensive line in this UNLV game ended up holding up a little bit better than expected. Um, but still, Virgil wasn't looking comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, even with no pass rush coming against him, he was still overthrowing his receivers. There was a number of drop passes again in this game. Um, so it wasn't helping Virgil's uh, uh, completion percentage at all. And uh, the run game was non-existent. So, and guess who had the better run game? And, well, that would be you know the uh, opposing team, as usual. With, with somebody that... People who followed the high school scene in Fresno is probably very familiar with. Well, well, Charles Williams and people are very. This is a touchy subject with them. I, I, have you noticed that? I mean, Charles Williams went in and completely annihilated the Bulldogs on the ground, and uh, now people are starting to take exception to that. I mean, it's like, woo. I mean, it's a local kid who went to an opposing team because the local team didn't want him. And now they're they're upset about it. Well, I know it's what do you do? it's it's lame. It's lame. I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, it, this kid is is he gets his opportunity where he gets his opportunity, and he's making the best of it. And he just so happened to do it against Fresno State. And you know what? Here's the thing that fans need to understand: it is not Charles Williams's fault that he ended up not going to Fresno State. You know who's that fault? Fresno State for not wanting Charles Williams. Williams, okay? It's that simple. It's no different than what happened with Tyler Horton out in Edison when Horton decided to choose to choose Boise State over Fresno State. Fact is, Boise State was one of Horton's first offers. Fresno State came on him pretty late to the party. Williams' situation was a lot different. Williams wasn't even offered by Fresno State. The players that Fresno State offered, the three scholarships that went out to the different running backs that Fresno State wanted, a lot of these guys are injured. I mean, Williams could have very easily helped Fresno State right now. So it goes to show you the method of thinking that Tim DeRuiter and his staff has on the recruiting trail. Yeah, and, and I want to put another another thing to, to rest as far as recruiting is concerned. I've been hearing a lot of fans very upset about and critical about the uh, recruiting of the local players uh, and, and making an effort of getting them in here. You, you know... You know, you guys have the right to to be upset about the um, them not recruiting hard in the valley, but at the same time, uh, you know, Lorenzo Jackson and I we we talk to these recruits a lot, and at times Fresno State is you know making a play for some of these kids, but the truth of the matter is these kids don't want to stay in Fresno. So, well, a lot. Here's the thing: there are those kids who want to go to where the grass is greener we get it but then there are the kids who actually want to play in fresno or would be open to play in fresno i'll give you this name 
Isaac Lepke. Yeah. He was actually open about playing in Fresno. He even messaged Pete Germano, the Central Valley recruiter, about possibly playing in Fresno. But guess where Lepke ended up? Wyoming. And and that's and that's part of the problem. See, the kids the kids that they do give offers to want nothing to do with staying at home. And the kids who actually want to go to Fresno don't get an offer. So that is part of the problem. But at you know at the same time, all the fans here are expecting Fresno State to pick up all the top recruits in the valley. Usually, the ones that are the top recruits in the valley don't want to play in the Mountain West. Well, here's the thing. If you're the top recruit in the Valley, you could go anywhere. If you're one of the top recruits in your position here in the Valley, you could go anywhere. Look at Jalen Johnson's situation at Central. Johnson's considered the number one recruit in the 559. And if you were to look at his top seven or top five, whatever it is now, nowhere does it say Fresno State on the list. And largely because of the fact that Fresno State got on him pretty late. But also because of the fact that, as you know, Lucille, Central and Oklahoma has a huge pipeline. And not only that, Central players usually get offered by SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten, Power 5 schools in general. Yeah, so it's a catch-22. Yes, the Bulldogs could make a better effort at recruiting the local talent. But some of the players that everybody thinks that they should be landing realistically, they don't have a shot. And, you know, here's here's the thing we have to remember. Pat Hill himself had trouble with making sure that the kids, the top kids in his backyard stayed. To Hill's credit, though, he made a conscientious effort to offer these kids early. Ricky Manning was a young man who got offered early by Fresno State. Even though Pat Hill knew deep down his side, he wasn't going to eventually land Ricky Manning. Same thing with Tyler Bray. Fresno State, believe it or not, was actually one of Bray's first early offers. But Hill knew deep down his side, especially with Derek Carr as his quarterback, he knew that Bray probably wanted to venture off someplace else. David Osprey was another one. Deontay Greenberry was another one. I mean, the list goes on and on. Bullard had a young offensive lineman named Stephon McCray, who Pat Hill was all over. Well, McCray ended up at Arizona State. I mean, my whole thing is this. It's like, you know, when you compare Hill and DeRuiter and their recruiting efforts, the thing I give Hill the most credit for is not so much the fact that he offered those big-time kids early, even though he didn't get them, but, you know, he still made an effort to land these kids. And not only that, he ensured that not too many of those kids ventured off to a rival WAC or Mountain West school. It's way different with DeRuiter. If you look at the Mountain West, Lucio, nearly half of the teams, or at least 10 Mountain West teams, has at least one Central Valley kid, one prominent Central Valley kid. Yeah, and uh, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, the only way that Tim DeRuiter knows how is to try to build a team by going outside of the area. And if you can make... See, this is where things get a little tricky because if you can make a successful program, but even if you have to go out of the area to get those players and make a successful program, once you start winning, it becomes that much easier to pick up the local kids. The problem is, is he hasn't had much success. His thir- first three recruiting classes have been disasters, which is what is leading to what is happening now. But this year so far... 
is probably his best recruiting effort he has had since he has been here. He has got the number one recruiting class in the Mountain West currently that uh, have committed to Fresno State. Whether or not he's going to stick around to see it, that's a different story. Absolutely. And you know what? Even if they do make a change, I mean, the least Fresno State could possibly do is maintain one of those assistants. Like, particularly Lorenzo Ward, because whether you look at it or not, it's really Ward who's helping lure in those Georgia and Florida kids because of the fact that Ward knows those states pretty well and has a pipeline there. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, like I said, it was his first three years that were disasters. Last year was actually a, a pretty good, decent recruiting class, and we're starting to see some of those players. They're, they're, they're actually pretty good, uh, the freshmen that came in. Now... It, it, the problem is, is those first three years is what's killing him right now. And, and it's, you know, it's going to cost him his job pretty much. It, it, well, here's the other thing, too, is like normally in college sports, when you're in your fourth season at the helm, it's your first senior class. And that class knows more or less like what your expectations are. Problem with the Reuter is that he ended up losing some of those players, some of his own players he brought into Fresno State. They ventured off. And now that he's in his fifth year, I mean, it's looking worse than ever. So, again, it raises the questions of his recruiting abilities, his abilities to have some kind of contingency plan, especially with the backyard kids or the kids in California in general. I mean, it's like it's all of this is not is basically giving him another blemish. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not going to help him much uh, (laughs) Uh, because uh, I don't know his his first recruiting class, like you had mentioned, uh, probably ninety percent of that class moved on, so only ten percent of it is still left on the team. That is not a good average. So you know it it's uh it you know a lot of things contribute to what where the Bulldogs are standing right now, and uh, that the recruiting aspect is probably at the forefront of what is going on over there. Uh, now, c- other coaching abilities, that's still in question, and uh, only time will tell now this season is to see how far that's going to go. But um, no, before we start talking about, you know, the Rooters stuff, why don't, why don't we finish up, you know, what we saw? What were some of Fresno State's biggest problems in this past game uh, against UNLV? Run defense. And, you know, here's another thing that we have to bring up that's another blemish in the Rooter regime. He came to Fresno State with the thinking of Thomas Spade that he was going to be the guy to fix Fresno State's defense, especially since it tailed off toward the end of the Pat Hill regime. Well, Fresno State's defense has regressed. I mean, from what I remember, I believe they are averaging, they are allowing an average of over 280 rushing yards per game. And Williams was the latest to basically slice and dice this defense. Well, and, and basically, uh, when Hill was here, he played a 4-3. When uh, DeRuder came in, he switched it to a 3-4. Um, and you know what? I wasn't a fan of switching to a 3-4 when he did that. I, I am I am more old school. I like the 4-3 format better. Um, and it's proving that the 3-4 is not helping at all with the run defense. They may need to switch back to the 4-3 just to kind of shore up the run again. Well, what's funny, Lucio, is that if you really think about it, the 3-4 is really designed to stop the run, and it's designed to be very creative, to blitz like crazy. Well, it's I mean, actually been working against them. Yeah. <laughs> so. so now you have to 
Gretchen, maybe go with like, I don't know, a five man front. <laughs> oh, screw it. Just put everybody in the box. <laughs> I mean, it's no, if, if you can't stop the run, what's the point of trying to stop the pass? <laughs> it's not going to help you. I mean, oh, it's, it's a disaster. It is a disaster. I mean, I don't know what else they can do to try to stop the run here. Um, other than, you know, like you said, bring in some fresh blood and see what they can do. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, r- was run defense actually the only thing that was the biggest problem for Fresno State? Uh, There's I that. I mean, obviously the play of Virgil, the receivers, the coaching. I mean, we could go on and on. I mean, yeah. So I guess we'll just move on. <laughs> Let's not let's not beat that one down any further. Let's move on to the next part of the of our show, and, and that's the burning question. Uh, you know, what do you think? Could the coach? Could there be a coaching change sooner rather than later? I mean, I'm believing kinda, it. I'm we, believing more, more, more. I mean, I know that Jim Barco has denied it. I mean, he's told just about every media outlet that he wants to decide by the end of the year what his decision is going to be. Well. Problem is, if you make your decision by the end of the year, Fresno State might be 1-11. If you want to at least end the season in a more respectable note, I mean, maybe, just maybe, Barco considers a coaching change. Maybe he considers some kind of reshuffling of the staff or convinces DeRuiter to do something along those lines. I mean, the thing is, is that, again, DeRuiter can't really stick with what he has because what he has, what he's been going with right now has helped lead to the one and four start yeah and uh, and then there there comes the the big issue there's the big buyout clause for coach tim deruder uh in order to let him go and i believe that's right around i, I believe it's right around 3.5 million in order to buy out the uh, his contract because it's a guaranteed contract so you know for them to do it, for them to pull the trigger, they're going to have to eat that money or negotiate a a cheaper buyout clause with with the rooter. But if I was the rooter, I, I would hold tight and say, "Look, <laughs> you want to get rid of me? You're going to have to fire me and pay me my, my what what I'm owed." And so, you know, he's really got the university by the by the you know what as far as that's concerned. But uh, I don't know. Uh, I do you do you pull the trigger and cut your losses? Does the loss of Ticket sales outweigh the loss of the uh, buyout clause. Uh, I mean, which one? Which one do you think is going to be worse? Well, either way you look at it, I mean, Barco, I'm sure knows and is well aware that the fan unrest is at an all-time high, and I believe it's even higher than it's ever been, even higher than Pat Hill's final years. So. Either way you look at it, I mean, my whole feeling is that if it were me, if I was in Barco's shoes, I would make the move right after the San Diego State game because if if Fresno State's at 1-6, the least you can do is make those changes, determine who wants to be a Bulldog, and that includes coaches, who wants to be a Bulldog, who doesn't want to be a Bulldog, and then do your national search. Yeah, and, and you know what? You also have to take into consideration, you know, if you wait until the end of the year to fire the coach, where is that going to leave you recruiting wise? It's going to leave you in a in a, in a lurch because then the recruits are going to probably want to kind of cut ties and move on. If if you get them 
get rid of them sooner rather than later. That gives you time to kind of salvage your recruiting class. Bring in, uh, you know, name a a head coach that's going to be coming in and see if he can maybe persuade some of those kids to stay or maybe cut some of those kids loose that he doesn't feel is going to fit the type of program he wants to run. So, you know, you got to give the new coach some time to kind of figure things out. Not like when when uh, Fresno State let Pat Hill go so late into into the whole process that ultimately you know handcuffed DeRuiter when he first came in with that recruiting class, and we all see how that's turning out. So you know you got to give the new coach that's coming in an opportunity to kind of do the things he wants to do in a timely manner. I mean, it, it's pretty much what you're seeing right now at LSU. LSU cans less smiles. They bring in a respectable name in Coach O, who's also a very talented recruiter. So either way you look at it, regardless of who comes in and coaches LSU, there's still going to be a good number of recruits intact because of the works of Orgeron. And plus that you're guaranteed to have at least two or three members of that staff to keep those kids in place and to make sure they're still committed to LSU. Yeah, so you know, the, the, there's the pros and the cons of the whole situation, and it, 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 honestly, like this is something that uh, let, let's be real here, people. Lucio and I never wanted to talk about this. I mean, <laughs> no, we wish we even people like us wish that Fresno State was four and one right now, and we wouldn't have this conversation. But because Fresno State is one and four, because the thunder clouds are starting to swarm over Tim DeRuiter's office, I mean. Unfortunately, we have to go this route. We just we just have to get realistic, and that's what we're doing. Is uh, we you know, regardless of what you think, this isn't fun to us. We don't like sitting here ripping the bulldogs, but you know, this is what's going on, and we have to talk about it. I mean, it's just the way it is. And I know that you you see all those pros and cons that we mentioned about recruiting, and if you make a coaching change, what's it going to do? Is it going to damage the recruits? I mean. My whole thing is this, you know, it's like Fresno State, either way you look at it, they're going to have players coming in for the 2017 class regardless. So my whole feeling is that we shouldn't worry about who's coming or who's staying because you know what? Kids committing to a Power 5 school, they don't always stay. Sometimes they decommit and they venture off. It's no different. So my whole feeling, like if I'm Fresno State, my main concern is winning more games making sure that fans get their butts back into the seats, try to save whatever you can save from the season, even though it's starting to look more and more turbulent. Oh, and you know what? The uh, What's going to end up happening is, I know a lot of people get upset about how people are not showing up to the stadium. You know, they need to support this team. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, they're not going to support a product that they don't believe in. And right exactly. now, the fans don't believe in this product. And so if they don't show... That's going to be the quickest way for the university to make a, a change because they can no longer afford to have an empty stadium, especially one that holds over 40,000 people, and they barely get, what, a th- not even a, a fourth of, of that to show up. It, I feel like, it could be a honestly, problem. Lucio, we should only get mad at Fresno State fans if they're ahead by, like, two touchdowns and they decide to leave in the third quarter. <laughs> that's 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 where I get upset. Is when 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 the the team is doing good, when they're having a winning season, they're winning and people are showing up in the second quarter and leaving at the end of the third. That really irritates the crap out of me. But, you know, 
you know, that's just my opinion. I mean, that's just, I don't see why people would do that. I mean, I do have to give the benefit of the doubt to the diehard fans who still go to Bulldog Stadium, even maybe even take the road trip to Las Vegas or Reno. I mean, props to those fans for actually sticking it through and, I mean, just hoping for the best for this team. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we don't, like we said, we don't like sitting here ripping the Bulldogs every time, but, you know, we've got to talk about something. And if Lorenzo and I just focused on just the good things, the show would have been over two, uh, two minutes into the podcast. Exactly. It would only last just two minutes. It's just the way it is right now. And so we got to roll with what we're given. So, and this is what we're given. And uh, it's really not much to work with. So we're doing the best we can. But, you know, moving on, let's break down what the Bulldogs are going to face against Nevada. Uh, I mean, you've got a, a Nevada team that is now licking their wounds after losing to a Hawaii team on the islands, not only losing to Hawaii, but getting blown out by Hawaii. So, I mean, what do you think their mindset's going to be heading into this game, Lorenzo? You know, because they're at home, because they're going against Fresno State, I mean, it could be kind of a uh, Jekyll Hyde situation or it could be a double-edged sword because you might have a Nevada team underestimating Fresno State or you might have a Nevada team that's going to refocus and basically just come out completely different from what we saw on the island. Yeah, it's uh, it's it. This this one could be another one of those tricky ones because you got. I I think what the Bulldogs are going to get is going to get a Nevada team that's going to be kind of ticked off for losing the way they lost uh, against Hawaii. And what's going to add fuel to the fire is they're going to be at home, and they're going to be against one of their rival teams. So, what do you think is gonna, you know, gonna go through their minds when Fresno State comes into the stadium? They're gonna want to just pummel the Bulldogs, and we're gonna get to see just, if, you know, what the Bulldogs are made of if they can actually turn this season around against Nevada. Because this is right now, this is the turning point. Either they're gonna, either they're gonna make a stand, or things are just gonna start spiraling out of control even further. This is Fresno State's opportunity to prove that the UNLV loss was actually a fluke. (laughs) Although after what I saw, I don't know if it was a fluke. (laughs) Yeah, it looked pretty realistic. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and against a quarterback that, uh, you know, never took a snap at the college level uh, and took it for the first time. And they made him look like Russell Wilson. Oh, gosh. And that that long run, I'd never seen anything like it before. I mean, it was... And there's a little bit of some bad news for Fresno State and anybody who was looking forward to the uh, defensive battle. I mean, Nevada is known for quarterback keepers. And you know what? Tyler Stewart, the starter, he's already second on the team in rushing yards. Oh man, that's uh, it, it, that's bad news for Fresno State. They never do well against mobile quarterbacks, as you can see what happened against UNLV when uh, the quarterback started to run the ball. They struggled big time, and uh, it, I don't know what what. How is the running game doing right now for Nevada? Do you do you have that in front? It's of you? still a strength of the team. I mean. Nevada averages over four yards per carry per game. It's 177.4. The lead rusher is James Butler, who has 575 yards. Even after the Colin Kaepernick Vitale era, I mean, Nevada is still staying true to its running roots. It's still pretty much a 
running back by committee or more so more so that read and, and react sort of thing on offense that they like to do. Yeah, <clears throat> that's uh, I don't know if they if they oh. still have a running game that's that's potent, the Bulldogs are going to struggle. Again. Although I will say this about Nevada, surprisingly, they actually have a pretty decent passing attack, and they've managed to spread the football around. In fact, according to a stat sheet that I have right here, the Wolfpack actually has five receivers who have twelve catches or more. The leader is Wyatt Demps out of the Sacramento area, who has 18 receptions for 182 yards and three touchdowns. Another thing to keep in mind is that Nevada does have some big boys at wide receiver. They got guys who are six foot four, six foot five, and I mean already they're going to pose some matchup problems for the Fresno State secondary. You know, if I was Nevada, I wouldn't even worry about passing the ball. I'd line it up and run against the Bulldogs and and see what they got because they have not proven that they can even stop the run. So and you know what? That's the that's just it. You hit it on the mark, Lucio. Because judging from what we saw in the UNLV game, I can guarantee you Nevada is going to test the Bulldog run defense right away. They're going to go with either the blast runs, the dive runs. They're going to try to run that option. They're going to run the football right away. They're going to test this Bulldog run defense. I mean, I almost feel like we don't need to wait until Saturday to figure out what's going to happen. <laughs> no, me and you already know what's going to happen. It's going to be a heavy dose of run game up the middle. Uh, I mean, it doesn't even have to go out the, go to the outside, just up the middle. <laughs> I mean, uh, they've been proven that uh, they can't stop the run. So, you know. Until that day comes, I mean, you're going to see more and more teams, especially Nevada, run it down the Bulldogs' throats. You know, I wouldn't even be surprised if they ran the same play two or three times in a row. You know, if you can't stop it, why stop it? You know, why stop running it? I mean, that's just, uh, you know, it's kind of like playing Madden on uh, on you know the PlayStation. You you use a play and it gets you get you a lot of yards. Why not run it again? See if they can stop it. Then <laughs> it's the same thing right now against the Fresno State defense uh, as far as stopping the run. Uh, you see a lot of the same plays over and over, but the problem is the Bulldogs aren't stopping them. So why not? It works. So I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see a heavy dose of the run. We'll probably see some of the passing just to keep the Bulldogs honest. But on the flip side. Will Fresno State finally find some success on the ground? Uh, I don't know. That's a question mark for me. So I don't know. What do you think, Lorenzo? Well, on the offensive side of the football? Yeah, for Fresno State. Do you think they'll actually find some some uh, room on the ground to run it? Well, there is some good news. I mean, Nevada actually isn't the most stout defense. As a matter of fact, I did a double take. Pass rush-wise, Nevada only has three sacks this season. Now, as far as them going against the run, opponents actually average over 5.8 yards per game against Nevada, and that includes an average of 272.6 yards per game. And not only that, Hawaii actually is starting to run a system similar to Nevada, and Hawaii had a lot of success going against Nevada's run defense. So um, I don't know. Maybe maybe Fresno State might actually find a ground game this next upcoming game, uh, but you know that's that's to be yet to be discovered to see what's going to happen. I, I know some of the running backs are starting to get healthy, but I don't know if they're going to play. That's here's the here's an interesting tidbit. Nevada is actually a very fast starter. In the first quarter, the Wolfpack has outscored their opponents. By a margin of 35 to 10. 
Second quarter, though, opponents hold a 52 to 30 edge. Check this out, though, Lucio. In the third quarter, Nevada has only scored 10 points in that period, while opponents have scored 49. And then in the fourth quarter, it's even at 28. Long story short, Nevada actually hasn't proven to be a second half team yet. Which uh, could be good news for Fresno State because they tend to have problems in the second half. <laughs> yeah, look at the Tulsa game. I mean, that's just that's usually been their Achilles' heel this season is that second half. And uh, well, if if they can kind of if they can put together a solid game plan, they might have a shot. But as of right now, Fresno State are still favored to lose this game. So uh, they're the they're the underdogs going into this game, and I think they're going to be the underdog underdogs all season long unless they start turning things around. Yep. So, um, well, you know what? I I have one good thing that came out of this UNLV game. Uh, I think they finally decided on who their kicker is going to be. I mean, it's about time. Uh, Cody Croning uh, finally hit you know some decent kicks this past game, and I believe. He is now the kicker for Fresno State, and uh, he's officially—I I believe he's officially beaten out uh, Camacho for the kicker's job. So it is now uh, finally somebody has been named the kicker. <laughs> so <laughs> at least there's a bright spot. <laughs> we now know who the kicker is. We had we had to go 45 minutes into the show to finally find a bright spot somewhere, <laughs> and there it is. That is the bright spot. So. I think that being said, Lawrence, I think we're just going to start wrapping it up because, you know, there's only so much we can do as far as beating a dead horse into the ground. And I think we've beaten this horse. We've buried it. And now we've thrown some stones on top. So I wish I wish on Monday that we can talk about a Fresno State victory. I wish we were to talk about a lot of Fresno State victories. Well, unfortunately, it hasn't worked out that way. So you can't get too mad at us. No, this show is so much funner when it's uh, after a win. Uh, I mean, there's a lot more to, to kind of hang our hats on. And right now, we are struggling to find something to hang our hat on. And, uh, you know, uh, we we are doing what we can. But, you know, whenever you can, head over to thebarkboard.com because we – we're putting up stories uh, as often as we can to try and keep you guys updated the best that we can. So that being said, Lorenzo, why don't you go ahead and let them know how they can get a hold of us. It is at Red Wave Report. Once again, at Red Wave Report on Twitter. We also got the Facebook page. Give us the thumbs up. Red Wave Report on Facebook. Once again, Red Wave Report on Facebook. You're also welcome to give me a follow at LJ underscore Reina. Once again, at LJ underscore Reina on Twitter. I not only tweet about high school sports and high school football, but also Fresno State. Yes, and so we want to thank everyone again for joining us. Head over to thebarkboard.com check out everything we've got going we've got lots of new stories coming through the pipeline as far as fresno state recruiting uh some of the local games that we've been covering and uh you know just anything we can find on fresno state and we've we've got a couple of things that we're working on that are kind of on the back burner for now but we'll we'll put them out whenever we get a chance so that being said, I want to thank everyone for listening on behalf of the Barkboard staff. And uh, join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. <laughs>